0: This week on the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast, we debate the rising star race and dissect the impact last year's draftees have had, delve into Melbourne's recent list management moves and take a close look at why Geelong have impressed so many.
1: You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.
0: Yes, hello all and welcome to another episode of the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast. My name is Matt Walsh and I'm joined as always by Neil
2: Seawang. How are you? Not too bad. Yourself, mate?
0: Uh, we're not going to talk about Carlton if that's what you're sort of angling I'm happy not
2: to talk about Carlton or Melbourne.
0: Or Melbourne. Well, I think we're well. <laughs> we might on the bottom and we're a couple of mm. spots off. So, Jake Michaels, uh, been a good weekend for you?
3: Well, obviously not. You know it's not. You're looking at me, and you know it's not. We uh, we had a really liked bad loss. I like riling you up. I got to say. Yeah, it was disappointing. I'm still. I watched. I've watched that fourth quarter about four times now. And I still don't know how we have lost that game. Why do you do that to yourself, out of interest? No. torture. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Christian Jolly from Champion Data, did you watch plenty of footy on the long extended weekend yes, that we've just had?
1: Very long extended weekend. Um, yeah, able to watch all nine games and it'll nicely spread out. So you watched all nine. Ah, uh, sorry, Geelong West Coast was the one because of Carlton Hawthorn. I didn't see as bit of much of that. Um, and Frio Bulldogs was quite similar. I Sort of watched the second half of that one, but yeah, just having the game sort of spread out and it was a good week. Did we enjoy watching games from uh, from Wednesday
0: through to Sunday night?
3: Yeah, it was great, wasn't it?
0: I thought it was pretty good, but you're right. You kind of, it's kind of hard to. I guess make time for every single game throughout the week, unless you're sort of sitting change no, the not. desk. It's easy. <laughs> it's great. Right.
3: You only need one game, one game a day or a night, and try telling that to my girlfriend. Seven. What yeah. do you reckon? Seven seven games in seven days, every single night,
0: I don't mind game it. footy. I like it's it. It's what I
1: love about the NBA. It's a game on every day, so
0: pretty constant. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll touch on that a little bit later. But it is time to get into our first segment.
3: It's time for three on three.
0: The impact that the twenty eighteen draft class has had so far in 2019 has been pretty astounding if i do say so but the race for the rising star is probably down to two players at this point neil uh sam walsh from carlton has been super impressive in his uh through his first six games i think he's hasn't had fewer than 24 disposals uh, through six games and and connor rosie at port is the other one who's kicked a bag of five already and has shown flashes of pure brilliance for port in the early parts of the season is it wrong to say that those two are duking it out for the rest
2: of the year? No, it's not wrong to say that at all Um, and interestingly um, probably even a fortnight ago it seemed like Walsh had it locked up already unless he got injured but now Rosie's I guess come to prominence a little bit in the last fortnight Um, and it seems to be a a two horse race and it's been I think they've been the standout of a pretty strong crop of first year players but they're really hard to compare because Walsh is such a a bona fide midfielder who's already playing at a pretty elite level of footy and Rosie... He's playing on half-forward flank. He, he looks like he'll have more quieter games than Walsh, but he looks like he's going to be a match winner as well. He'll kick four and a quarter you know, every now and then and, and do the extraordinary. So they're going to be fun to compare, but it, it is quite a difficult one to, to look at as well.
1: Yeah, so I've sort of looked at um, breaking them up into their position. So Walsh, we got uh, classified as a wingman. Connor Rosey, obviously, a general forward. So again... Going back to your point about them playing two totally different roles, it's hard to just take out the raw numbers and compare disposals versus disposals, goals versus goals. They're clearly going to uh, be doing different roles. So sort of looked at the nine key stats for a wingman, and Sam Walsh is above average or elite in six of the nine. So pretty good ratings there. He's elite for a contested uh, contested ball winner for a wingman, above average for his disposals, and above average for his score involvements. Going across to Connor Rosie and looking at the nine sort of key stats for a general forward, he's above average or elite in all uh, nine of those stats, um, being elite in contested possessions and above average across the board. So that's things like disposals, score involvements, tackles, 4.50 ground ball gets 4.50 marks. So probably on that sort of uh, ledger, he uh, pips Walsh just by just slightly. Another good measure we use is what we call relative rating, and that's looking at your age and your position and how you've performed compared to other people in the same position at the same age in previous years. So as a winger, Sam Walsh is performing 68% above expectation, and that's for an uh, 18-year-old wingman. Conor Rosie, who's uh, turned 19 at the start of the year, for a 19-year-old general forward, he's 67% above where he's supposed to be. So there's <laughs> 1%, 1% separating him.
2: That probably says it all, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, that kind so, of sums so it up, really, really the whole that.
0: argument, that, that they're so close and it, it is neck and neck, and you can't compare them just on pure stats alone because they are different role players, basically
3: look I love Sam Walsh honestly what I've seen from him so far in his six games has been awesome he's going to be a super super player. Oh, worthy of the number one pick and more absolutely um, so there's no doubt about his talent but I tell you what I'm going to stick my neck out here a little bit and might be a little bit controversial to my fellow uh, Carlton supporters but if I had the option right now oh, don't don't <laughs> I would <laughs> you're not I would swap him for Connor Rosie <laughs> that's huge
0: are you, are you, really
3: I really would Why is why is that and that's no knock on Walsh but from what I've seen of Rosie so far, is incredible. I, I don't think I've seen a player in the, their first six games slot into a forward line, and let's be honest, a forward line that has had its struggles from in the last few years. Slot in there, be so clean and so skillful, and be able to impact and hit the scoreboard so well in his first six games is extraordinary. He may fall off a cliff, and we we he might never hit the heights that we expect. That you know is the nature of playing as a forward, but I'm so excited with what I see so about Connor Rosie
2: so you're willing to accept the risk you know that a, that a forward like Rosie there's a small amount of risk yeah. that he has those quite Walsh is yeah. going
3: to be a player that's going to get you 25 30 every single game you know he's great oh, People, some people say he's a vanilla player no I disagree with that I think he's just a good solid midfielder and he's going to get better he's only 18 years old he's going to get better and better well obviously. hold on
0: he's a good solid midfielder who's running power is elite. Elite. Gets to elite positions. He's gonna and be a gun. Using he's using the ball extremely well for a kid. You can't say that he's vanilla or will just be a very I good said, player. I, like,
3: I said some people like to say he's vanilla. I don't. I think he's a super player already and he's gonna be a great player. He may win a Brownlow medal. He's so good. The
0: thing that Carlton lacked last year were players other than Patrick Cripps who could get twenty five to thirty disposals. He hasn't had less than twenty four this year
3: and he's been using them extremely he well. Hasn't, but he's but again you you just hit the point there. Like he he's. His key attribute is his endurance running. So he spends a lot of time on the ground. He wins a lot of the ball. That's great. Rosie is a player that's going to win you games. I'm not saying Walsh won't or can't. But the fact that in in his first six games, he's already kicked five in one of them. Walsh will probably never in his career have a game where he kicks five. And that's not a knock on Walsh. Well, that's not his role. But that's not his role.
0: But his role is is stuff like pressure acts, which he's elite at already. Clearances... Um, he's elite at already. Meters game, like he's, he's. But in this some day these... and
3: age, where scoring is so important, because it's because we're seeing less of it. There's more value on having players that can impact the scoreboard, like your Rosie, like your your Robbie Gray's and your DeGol. Well, yeah, like that's these guys that's that can,
0: that's a more of a simple way to look at it because you look at you got to look up the chain. Score involvements is a big big stat of, you know where the chain starts and blocks like Walsh are where the chains are going to start.
3: Yeah, again, look at the the cha- where the chain starts is one thing, but look. Carlton's not really
0: scoring this that well. Got moment. a bit fiery, hasn't it? Yeah. This
2: is great. And as a neutral observer, I guess, and without um, being a Carlton or Port Adelaide fan, it's re- it's it's almost too difficult to choose one because one is such a bankable. I mean, Walsh looks like he's going to play 250 games plus of. a of at least very good to possibly elite like he might become one of the best midfielders of his generation or at worst will. he might be just a very good midfielder in
3: fact I'd be surprised if he didn't become a top 5 midfielder in the next three or four years. The
0: stats suggest he's already Carlton's second best midfielder. He's so number one at Carlton. It's not saying much though, is it? <laughs> <laughs> he's number one at Carlton for handball metres gained, second for clearances, disposals, handball receives, inside 50s, loose ball gets, pressure acts, uncontested Okay, that's possession. great. You keep, you, keep,
3: you can keep... Yeah, but you can do the same thing for Rosie. And, and I'll ask you one last thing with Rosie before you probably have to move on. But who's the last player that's slotted into a forward line that's been able to do what he's, he's doing right now? It's
2: a good point. It's a good point. And as you say scoring's down it's, it's really hard to find those those scoring's players that can impact the scoreboard it's um, the hardest
3: thing we talk about it every week that scores are down inaccuracy all this sort of stuff it is the hardest thing to do and if you've got a kid that's 19 and has he's only played 6 games and can do it better than most in the comp how many players have kicked Five in a game this year already? So
1: there's been 13 occasions 13. this year. and he's goals. one of them
3: already, and he's,
0: well, he's clearly the youngest. Of good stuff. debate. You mentioned rattling off stats. Just a couple of quick ones for Rosie. Second at port for goals, scores, score involvements, and post-clearance tackles. So he's he's doing very well. I'm, look, I'm not knocking Connor Rosie, but I think as a Carlton fan, and you look at what that team needs, I think uh, Sam Walsh fits Carlton Well, and I think something like you know, Robbie Gray's not going to be around forever and someone like Connor Rosie is gonna fill that hole at port. I mean, maybe you're just yeah. looking at horses for courses.
3: Absolutely.
2: I d I don't think either either um either club would want would be too unhappy with what they've got out of the of the draft. If they were last forced year. to
3: swap right now, I don't think either would be like, Oh damn, we we really
2: <laughs> <laughs> we got shafted. <laughs> That's right. But the whole first there's a bunch of first year players that have all been been really exciting this year. So they're they're leading the pack and it seems like a bit of a gap. Um, until you know, below them in the, in the race for the rising star, but mm-hmm. they certainly haven't, haven't been alone. Bailey Smith's been really good, who mm-hmm. uh, our draft expert Chris Doar actually rated above Walsh last year as an under 18 midfielder. So, it would be interesting to see. Well, you got that one wrong <laughs> after, after <laughs> six games. Um, you know, Zach Butters, um, Xavier Desma, she's poor, have got some nice looking youngsters, great so. kids. Um, so and, and then you've got a, t- a couple of Tassie boys, which are close to my heart, and Chase Jones and, and Taron Thomas, and the list goes on, and they've all been able to make a pretty immediate impact. So. It's
0: been pretty impressive. Mm. I mean, just before we move on, we'll do quick one-word answers on this one. Now that we're two and a bit years into the, um, the career of the 2016 draft class, why don't we look back at the top three, Andrew McGrath, Andrew McGrath Hugh McCluggage, and Tim Taranto. One-word answers, who do you take right now?
2: Oh.
3: I'll say McCluggage.
0: I like McClure too. If it's
1: if it's right now for this round, it's Tim Taranto. Because I think he's just he's just proven himself to be yeah, a little bit more ready than the other two at the moment.
2: Neck it's neck and neck, isn't it? Again depends what you need, I, I think it and depends on club needs. So
0: Andy McGrath for half back flanks pretty handy. For
2: Melbourne, needing outside run and pace, I'd probably lean towards McGrath. Mm. But um, I mean those three look like they're gonna be absolutely outstanding um, for their respective teams all year. And we actually put a poll out um, on Twitter. Uh, and I think it was Taranto with about 60% of the vote. So interestingly, uh, the, the people who responded to that were a bit more certain than us.
0: Keep an eye on the uh, AFL roundtable column this week because we might discuss this a bit further. Uh, so a few long one-word one word answers from us all <laughs> there. What can we do? Um, moving on to our second topic uh, for three-on-three. Three. Uh, we touched on this last week, and it, quite, it sort of piqued my interest, and we're going to go on with it. Misunderstood stats. Um, There are a few flying around out there. And, Jake, I know you were watching Wednesday Night's Game uh, and heard a bit of a misnomer. Can you sort of explain what you heard from one of the commentators on Channel 7?
3: Yeah, we won't name any names, um, (laughs) but it's interesting. I, I hear a lot, Champion Data don't record this. Champion Data, they don't have these numbers or these stats or all this sort of stuff. It's like, having now worked closely with you, Christian, for a bit, it's like, I know you have a lot of stuff, Is is it true that you have pretty much everything and all this stuff Um, that they're saying that you guys potentially don't have? I think,
1: yeah, we have a lot more than that's just, you know, your common stats are kicks, marks, handballs, disposals, contested possessions, uncontested possessions. There's probably at least another 100 just raw stats you can chuck on top of that. Just because it's not on the AFL website. That's that's just a raw stat. Then once you connect two stats together to have, you know, a kick long that's followed by an uncontested (laughs) mark is a kick long to advantage. So there's another, you know, from two stats, you can create a third stat and... Move along it's from amazing. there, so it's uh, almost never ending. But uh, yeah, to take your point from the um, from this week's one, we are talking about sort of knock ons. Was the um, one thing they said that we didn't record? Um, well, you do so actually, you yes, definitely do? We have we we've been recording them since. I don't think they were one of the original stats from '99, but I know from 2003 to 2018, we sort of definitely got some um, consistent looking numbers. So maybe the
0: commentators still looking at the prospectus from '99, two
1: thousand. So we're covering from the last sixteen the years that we won't know. and it's actually. Um, Again, it's probably one of the stats. It is. It's sort of further down. We do call it. It counts the same as... um, Basically, it's as good as getting a hardball, getting a handball. If you do a contested knock-on out of a pack, it's like you've grabbed it and handballed it to someone. So coming with that, you'll get a contested possession to your name. If it leads to a score, you'll get a score involvement. If it's directly to a score, you'll get a score assist. You'll get your metres gained for it. Uh, You'll get your ranking points. You'll get your rating points. You'll get all that sort of stuff. So there's at least six or seven different columns that that one knock-on will end up going into.
0: I did not know that. So I there, are, I think it was. I think I was trying to count as you were going on there. There are potentially eight. I think you just yeah, you just read a lot. Eight stats coming from one knock on. Yeah, potentially so from one little act. Mm.
1: So yeah, and the one. I mean, the one disclaimer I will put on it. Uh, we only record the successful knock-on so we don't record how many times you attempt to pass the ball you know by hand to somebody else so if, you if you smash miss the, target, you out of the pack and it goes to your opponent that doesn't count that won't count yep. as as a knock-on but again if it's a blatant error it'll count as a debit and that's a discussion for a whole other day <laughs> but um yeah so a knock-on's only included if you successfully get it to a teammate or it's as good as a kick so a 15 20 meter 20 meter sort of punch down the field will give that a knock-on because you're sort of gaining meters for your team but as i said it's probably one of those numbers we haven't sort of had a deep dive into and a look around so i had a look this week though um at the numbers and had a look at some of the uh season highs that we've seen for knock-ons so the most knock-ons we had in the season were uh in 2014 hawthorne had, hu- had 175 they won the premiership in 2015 they had 174 which is the second most we've seen they won the premiership
0: oh hold on i'll see where this is going <laughs>
1: Unfortunately, Richmond, I got a bit excited. I saw they had 173, and I thought the number was uh, the season next to it was 2017. I thought, here we go, three out of three were premiers, but that was actually last year where they had 173, but they still finished on top of the ladder. Um, the fourth most re- knock ons we've ever recorded was way back in 2003. Uh, that was 171 by the Brisbane Lions, uh, which is when they won their third premiership in a row. The most trend there, isn't mm. it? And the fifth most knock ons we've seen is 170 by Hawthorne in 2013, which was the first year of their three peat. Um, That's amazing. So, so again, knock it's. the ball.
0: Don't take possession of the it's, ball. Um, That's the team thing to do. Like, when you think about these these great teams that win premierships, that, that is the team thing to do is, like, you know, just, just get the ball to space to where someone can pick it up. I guess it makes sense when and you And it's think it about simple
2: it. enough to say that you want to keep the ball going because you've, you've got a premiership capable team. You want to keep the ball moving because you're backing your guys to to win the ball and, and be dangerous with it. You don't want to lock it down too much, Correct. So
1: You sort of don't want to look at these numbers and run with it and go, well, if we do lots of knock-ons, we'll win the premiership. That's not what this is saying. I think this is sort of showing that the teams with um, that do win the premierships are playing on confidence. They, they've got complete synchronisation with their teammates around them. And again, with us only recording the effective knock-ons, I mean, working on games, there probably isn't too many knock-ons that are ineffective that we don't count. So I don't think the numbers will change too much. But again, we're recording the um, the successful ones. They're the ones that are actually working. And again, the good teams that are all sort of playing in sync or playing on confidence, keep the ball moving and it works for them. There might be other teams, you know, Carlton, Gold Coast, Brisbane in previous years that have been low on the ladder. They're sort of trying to do these things, but just not quite working out as cleanly for them. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, Hawthorne for those three years, the um, 13, 14, 15, I mean, they had over... 450 knock-ons or so in those three years it was just clearly one of those things it wasn't something they built their game around but it was something that worked really really well for them
0: so if we're looking at the early knock-on leaders for 2019 who, who can we which teams can we kind of look yeah so
1: currently leading um again west coast is leading with 63 um so they're not going as back well as back. the other yeah <laughs> it's uh, not going as well as the other teams but let's hope uh, they can turn their season around or someone else can overtake him in the knock-on stat and uh this the going. things
2: you learn working closely with the, the statisticians here It's uh, I, I, I certainly had no idea that that was even recorded So well
0: I had no idea that a simple knock on could get you a stat in eight or nine different categories it's yeah. pretty crazy uh, we've got to move on though uh, Neil I'm going to ask you a pretty simple question but I think you've got a pretty complicated answer to the question <laughs> I'm going to ask you is the Jesse Hogan trade coming back to bite Melbourne on the bum
2: I, I wish we had more than a few minutes to answer this so the, the first thing is yes losing a really good key forward hurts but I think there's a lot of lazy commentators and fans and experts alike who look at Melbourne's season going downhill, you know, much more than we would have expected at the start of the year. And the really easy, I guess, look at what's gone wrong is, oh, they got rid of Jesse Hogan. That's what's gone wrong. So we the 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 demons got rid of Hogan for for a couple of different reasons, and the fact that they were the the team was able to. Uh, win a couple of finals and, and win, uh, win a couple of massive games to get in the finals, that happened without Hogan. So I think Melbourne probably saw that they could win games without him and saw the bigger need being another key defender. So what what I think Melbourne's bigger downfall is the, the Lever and May trades. I think that could really come back and bite them. So Melbourne has obviously identified key defensive posts as the most... The biggest weakness that they had, and they've spent big, and they want to win now. They're in the win now mentality by going for these mature players. Lever, through no fault of his own, is is out. did his knee in mid last year, and and May probably hasn't come back in the best shape. But is now injured as well. So let's look at what they gave up for them. Lever, which was the first deal done of the two thousand and seventeen trade period, was done early. It was done early, it was it? Done early and I'll get th- I'll point, get yeah, I'll get point. to that a bit later mm. as well if you give me a bit more time. uh, Sorry for the monologue. Uh, So the Demons got Lever, uh, the Crows' uh, second round pick and the Crows' third round pick for the next year. They gave up their first round pick and their first round pick the next year as well as a fourth round pick. So they gave up two first rounders and a fourth rounder to get Lever, a second round and a third round. And from Stephen May, they gave up um, pick six and they got Stephen May and and Cade Collegesney. So... For me, it looks like Melbourne's overpaid a little bit on both. The fact that Stephen May was a free agent at the end of this year really um, irks me as a Melbourne supporter. Mm. And the fact that they didn't back themselves to win him as a free agent and get him for free on the trade table uh, really makes me worried about the decision-making process behind that. Um, and I think with the Lever deal getting it done so early as well, maybe they overpaid as well. I think they could have maybe played a bit more hardball and got a better deal in in both areas. but. Uh, that probably takes me on to my other point about how much you, what sort of way do we, do you want to approach list management negotiations? Um, but um, Christian, did you have something to, to weigh in there before no, I, get I just, into that? I just
1: uh, the Stephen May ones interest me. I mean, I probably go in about Melbourne. They've, they've made a prelim last year. Why wait a year to see if you can get someone for free that you might be able to get that you're going to compete with every other Good club?
0: point. Collingwood are very keen on him as it, well. If like... it
1: works and you get a guy for free, that's great. But I'm, I'm I'm big on the fact that if you know what you want to get, you go out and get them. Absolutely. Um, if you know what window you're in, they were a pre- prelim final team last year. I know they hadn't made finals consistently year on in, but they won the top four teams last year. Our first podcast we'll talk about is there anyone they can catch the top four? So they're clearly entrenched in that group. Mm. I think they've done the right thing in the off season. It's just exactly they haven't played a game yet together. So you've give got it time. to try
3: and if you as you say if you if you feel like this is the thing that could tip you over there you've got to try and if it ends up being the opposite happens where you fall dramatically down the ladder which is what we've seen then okay that's happened as a Melbourne supporter answer this would you rather finish you know make a prelim and then next year you're sixth and seventh and fifth again or would you rather really try and push for the flag or but it could go the other I think
2: way you, once you're close you've got to take a risk I think I think that's any AFL fan would be happy because it's so rare to actually get that ultimate success but there's so many decisions that go into, and and luck plays an element too. Like what if what if Lever hadn't done his knee, and what if what if May had have come back in ripping shape, and that both could be you know the cornerstones of the Melbourne defence. Um, but I was interested to ask you, Christian, where would you rate? Did Melbourne overpay for them in terms of their talent, or,
1: or are they actually elite key defenders? I, I don't think they pay for, uh, overpay for either of them. They got two great elite uh, key defenders um, that complement each other. If they did play, so Jake Lever's one of the best interceptors. Uh, We've seen back in that 2017 season, he was number one in the comp that year for intercept possessions and marks. Um, and it was the equal fifth most intercept marks taken per game across the season uh, back in 2017. And Stephen May is just your sort of your classic um, key defender who's one-on-one beast. He's really good in one-on-ones, very hard to outmark. Um, I think he's been the eighth hardest player to outmark in one-on-ones across the last four or five years. Um, so I think that, I think they've gone for the right key defenders um, and paid probably, probably the fair price for them.
0: Well, that's the thing. I mean, when you're in the window, that's the best time to overpay. Don't overpay when you're building. Don't overpay when you're a mid-ranked team. Overpay when you think you can get the ultimate success. And I think that's what Melbourne did, and you can't really begrudge them, I guess, for, for going after that.
2: Yeah, it's such a fine line, though, because you could your window could be absolutely shortened because of mistakes that you make if you overpay for, for certain things. So um, I, I, I agree with the, the premise that they were really good, uh, key defenders, Melbourne needed key defenders. You went out and got them, you paid possibly fair, maybe a bit over in my mind, especially if you could have waited an extra year for um, for Steve and May. And oh, just on that point, Melbourne also won uh, all those games at the end of last season, including the two finals, without May and without Lever. So I'm not 100% sure whether they were absolutely necessary at that price, but I guess time will, time will tell because hopefully they get on the park towards the mid part of this year and have another... Five or six years together.
0: I mean, look, it doesn't help that someone like Tom McDonald probably hasn't lived up to his standards from last year. Uh, organic growth in some of the fringe players probably had—they probably haven't come on as you would no. have expected. Um, so it's not just one trade or one, you know, move that. It's a lot of forces at play here for the D's, I think. And-,
2: and I completely agree with that, which is why the whole Melbourne's going badly because Jesse Hogan got traded out is probably the, a very lazy and, and simplistic way of looking at it.
0: Yeah, well, that's very interesting, and we'll keep an eye on the Demons. They are currently on the bottom of the ladder with uh, league-worth percentage?
2: I think, run the, yeah, that's right.
0: So they've got, to, they've got to turn it around if they're to uh, make a, a late run like Sydney did a couple of years ago. Uh, let's move on.
3: How about stat with
1: champion data?
0: The Geelong forward line's been a bit of a revelation in 2019. Uh, many thought the Cats might struggle in the early parts of the years, myself included, because they had such a tough draw, which, I mean, if you think back to last year, you look at, the teams that they were due to play this season, Collingwood, Melbourne, Adelaide, GWS, West Coast, all in the first six weeks, uh, but they're 5-1, and one. so why don't we delve into what's changed since 2018? Christian, what can you tell us about the Cats?
1: Uh, so I've chosen to focus on their forward line today, so it's probably been a fair bit um, that they've done well previous years, they've, they've had dominant midfields, they've had uh, great defences, but it's probably their forward line that's sort of been up and down um, in previous seasons. Um, so I sort of looked at some of their numbers for that. But the first thing I noticed is stability in the team. That's been a great thing. I mean, we're only we're six rounds into the season, but Geelong have only used 25 players, which are the equal fewest of any team. Um, and they've had 18 players play every game, which is the equal most. So I haven't made too many week-to-week changes. And the one area that you notice that is their forward line. So I looked at last year, the guys that have played at least 60% game time as a forward that played for Geelong last year. And these are the names that ran through their forward line. So Hawkins, obviously he's your key anchor forward. Last year it was Crammery, Dan Menzel, Jermaine Jones, Fogarty, uh, Lincoln McCarthy, Brandon Parfitt, Gregson, Nakia Cockatoo, Buzza, James Parsons and Quinton Narkle. We're all playing at least 60% of their game time in the forward line. So that's a lot of names and a lot of sort of ins and outs each week. This year, the guys that have played 60% as a forward for Geelong are Hawkins, Brian Myers, who made his debut this year, Gary Rowan, who's new to the club, Luke Dalhouse, also new to the club, Tom Atkins who was on their VFL list for the last four years and has finally got a call up and uh, the next one is Asava Radigalia, who's sort of you know been that one constant with Hawkins so you sort of look at their forward line it's Tom Hawkins and five new faces around him and playing the majority up forward and it's it's working wonders for him I think they all bring um, a different skill each um, and they all sort of just complement each other uh, quite well so the first one I looked at is Tom Hawkins obviously he's your key forward you want him kicking goals. He's number one in the competition for score assists. So his ability to actually set up the smaller players to kick the goals is better than anyone in the competition. Um, And his 18 score assists in the first six rounds is the second most we've ever recorded. Shane Edwards had 19 last year in the first six rounds. One of the best
3: key forwards in the comp, I'd say. He's one of. Not the best.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, looking at him, as I said, he can create the scores as well as kick them. Uh, the one I like that's sort of, you know, Gary Ablett, big name, Brian Myers, everyone sort of loves, and it's quite noticeable with his haircut. Probably one guy that's flying a little bit under the radar is Tom Atkins. Um, as I said, he played um, 59 VFL games with Geelong before getting picked up, and we cover all the VFL as well. He was an absolute tackling machine at that level. So across the five seasons that he played, he averaged 8.3 tackles per game. That's phenomenal numbers. Anything above five is a is a pretty good game. To have average eight across 50-odd games is um, just unbelievable. So in his first year in the league, he's actually created 40 points on the scoreboard from turnovers caused by his pressure. So that's either tackling and, as again, we sort of covered turnovers pressure, and yeah. pressure um, in previous weeks. He's sort of chasing guys down or, you know, um, causing them to cough up the ball in, in Geelong's forward half. And that's led to 40 points on the scoreboard. That's ranked number one in the competition. So you go and look For at the... first your v- player. Amazing. Yeah, you go look at the tackling machine in the VFL, bring him into your team, put him in a role that, you know, he's tackling in... Yeah. That run and chase is going to benefit him and, and it's going to help your team. Second on that is Tim Kelly, who probably, again, not in their forward line setup, more of a midfielder. Probably doesn't receive enough credit. We all know Tim Kelly can win a lot of the ball in the midfield and uh, deliver it forward and that, but actually um, helping Geelong with 39 points on the scoreboard coming from his pressure. Again, from a midfielder, that's a, that's a great number considering that most of the other names in the top 10 are all forwards and yeah. play closer to goal. Yeah, they all forwards, yeah. Um, so that's yeah, Tom Atkins. Another one, as I mentioned, Grind Myers. Um He's I'd actually start to the year. Yeah, I love
2: seeing the small forwards, picked as small forwards, and being able to play without any pressure to move up to the midfield.
1: And um, he probably slipped in his draft year. And I think one of the reasons was again, one, he's probably um, just a small forward. He probably didn't show a lot of the ability to go through a midfield, which a lot of uh, recruiters like um, coming from the kids. But he probably had an unusual kicking style, and I think a, a few of the recruiters and a few of the. Um, uh, Phantom drafts and things leading into it said, so, yeah, he's a pretty good player but not sure about his kicking. There's a one knock on his kicking. This year, he's actually got an elite kicking efficiency so far and so does Gary Rowan. So Geelong are the only only team in the competition with two forwards that have an elite kicking efficiency so far this year. Is that
0: general kicking or kicking at goal?
1: That's general kicking. That's all kicks. So kicking at goal and around the ground. So they both rate right elite, him and Rowan. Rowan's actually kicked 15 goals from 19 scoring shots. That's um, and I His think-
2: transformation's been... He, he was such a bit part, flash in the pan... He might play one good quarter a month at the Swans and he just looks so invested and in, in actually doing, you know, hitting the scoreboard and actually doing the defensive. Well, defence. He, still doesn't,
0: he just, still doesn't need to have, like, 20, 15, 20 touches as mm. a forward. He still only, might only have eight or nine a game, but if he's kicking four
1: goals from those and eight or nine... That was the big thing. I think I did receive a question of, what's Gary Rowan doing different this year? It's not. He's actually, It's it's, it's just... It's just all working for him. He's, he's probably playing a similar role. I mean, Rich uh, Sydney did play him sort of across halfback some games, but he's playing a similar forward pocket role as he was at Sydney. Um, as I said, he's just he's just getting his opportunities and taking them this year. He hasn't sort of done too much differently. Um, so yeah, so there's sort of some of the numbers for the players um, that are standing up for Geelong. So what that culminates in is Geelong's obviously the highest scoring team this year at 98 points per game. We use offensive offensive efficiency, which is a good measure of how many points you would score per fifty minutes in your forward half. Geelong, uh, um, I'll take one step back. They're actually losing the time in forward half by three minutes and twenty nine seconds per game, which is fourteenth. So if that was the first number you looked at, you you would think, well, geez, Geelong's you know not getting enough ball down there. forward. But that actually probably works better into their hands that when they do get it forward, they've got that space. They're allowed to you know have those six forwards actually working without that congestion around them of the ball, you know, being locked down there for the last five minutes and trying to scrounge a score. So they're actually their offensive efficiency of 101.8 points per 50 minutes in the forward half is ranked number one in the competition. They're the only team above 100. So the next best is Essendon at 94, um, who were actually their opponents this week. So we could see a pretty exciting yeah, well, um, end-to-end game, hopefully, coming up on the weekend. Uh, so Geelong is second for accuracy. They're number one for you know scoring per inside 50. So once they get the ball inside 50, score 49% of the time, score a goal 28% of the time. So again, just that personnel—it's just—it's all clicking. It's working for them, and I think it's a big reason why Geelong's been so dominant early in the season. One-word answers: Does anybody here think Geelong will win the flag?
3: Staying with Collingwood, so no.
2: Yes. Yes. No.
0: I like the Cats. I think uh, I think everything's going right for them, and
3: they certainly can. Well, no they, they certainly can.
0: That. But but it, we also touched on it having used so few number of players as well. If they can have a, a sort of a Richmond-like year where the injuries doesn't, don't take their toll, gee, I reckon, I reckon they could could win a flag. That's interesting.
2: Yeah, great job by their coaching staff and, and whatnot to, to turn the list over and get them all invested playing good footy.
0: It is time for my favourite segment.
3: I've had a gutful.
0: Jake, I see you've got notes there. You've been writing down just a couple of notes. <laughs> Just a couple of notes. You've been writing down furiously for the, uh, the last five or ten minutes before we went on air. What's got your goat this week?
3: Well, we're going to stick with the Geelong theme here. Um, and obviously, Gary Ablett had a terrific game on the weekend. He was brilliant. Easily the best player on the ground um, and great to watch. Uh, the Geelong fans love him there. What annoys me about Gary Ablett is the fact that when he has a great game, everyone says, he's back. He's back. Gary, Gary's back. He's back, he's playing well, he's, he's a star again, you know, he's back to his best. He's always been great. This is a guy that's played over 300 games and been one of the best players in the competition that entire stretch of 300 games. When he retires, he's going to be regarded as arguably the greatest player of all time. When you have a poor game or an average game, everyone just assumes that you're done, that you are finished, that you're no good. No, that's not true. And I get really annoyed when people say that he's back because he hasn't gone anywhere. Right now, after six weeks, he's the only player in the competition, no one else. He's the only player that's averaging 20 disposals, a goal, and two score assists per game. No one else is doing that. He's the only one. Yet people say, oh, he's back as he had that game on the weekend where he got more of the ball and he kicked goals. It was like, hang on a minute, he was doing it every week. You're just not noticing him doing it every week. You know, the last there's only been two play other players in the competition that have averaged that in the last five seasons. That's uh, Robbie Gray and Toby Green. So, I mean, he's in elite company and he's 10 years old. Well, not Robbie Gray, but he's, he's, he's a lot older than those guys.
0: Well, in a new role too. I mean, when you go from midfield to playing, he's just slotted in seamlessly. In a new
3: role. And people say, oh, but he wasn't great last year. Well, he was top 20 in the Brownlow medal last year. And you look at the names above him. If you look at the, the 19 players in the top 20 with Gary Ablett, you'd say every single one of them is an A grader. A gun had a brilliant year. Yet yeah, people would say, "Oh, Gary Ablett didn't have a great year." You know, Gary Ablett's finished. His Champions goal.
2: get judged really harshly, don't they? Even like look at Dusty Martin after his incredible year a couple of years back, and he's been pretty good, or even very good, but very much like Gaz. As soon as you slip off that pedestal a tiny bit, you're a pretty easy target.
0: And people forget just how good he was uh, when he was playing for Gold Coast as off well. I mean, Brilliant. A little bit, yeah, exactly right. Off Broadway. I mean, some of the numbers he was putting up was just were just astounding. Mm.
3: Keep on doing it, Gary. You're a superstar, and um, You're great to watch.
0: And the three votes goes to... There's a saying, or the song, it might even be. It goes, you don't know what you've got until it's gone. And that rings especially true for Thursday night football. Every week through rounds one to six, we've had Thursday night football and we've had a couple of other nights as well. But now we won't have it again until round 13. And I tell you what, it has been wonderful to sit down and watch footy on more days of the week than not watch footy. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday—it's been magnificent to sit down and watch footy basically all throughout that that period. And now, uh, it, we're going to be without for a little bit. So I am saying the three votes goes to Thursday night footy, and we should bring it back full time,
2: Neil. What do you think? Completely agree with uh, Thursday night footy full time, and I also like like the the. Bonus, if if you like, of having a a Thursday night game is the fact that there's one less on a Saturday and you can spread the games out a little bit better or they should be spread out a lot better. You should be having Saturday afternoon footy, Saturday twilight and a couple Saturday night games as well. So I like the fact that there's maybe less games on a Saturday, it's less condensed and you get an extra night at home on the couch or at the ground if you're lucky enough to get there.
3: Yeah, big fan. Um, I really like it. I think, as you say, when you have four days of the week where you have football, it just feels like a whole lot more than three. I don't know. It's like when you work as well. Three, the, the difference between three and four, it makes it more than half the week. So, yeah, it's it's great. I love it.
0: Well, I mean, two of the top five crowds this year have been from Thursday night games. Uh, and I don't see... And people people say, oh, but kids have school and all this sort of stuff. And this is why they only really have Thursday night games uh, for when there are public holidays or school holidays. But I can tell you now, if clubs shared around the Thursday night games and you as a fan... There were two, one or two home games that your club played on a Thursday night. I guarantee you, ninety nine percent of the fans would be like, "I'd still go." I have no idea why the AFL doesn't just say, "Great, we get good TV coverage, which they do. Mm-hmm. We get good crowds, which they do. Let's just bring it in full time from next year." I don't, I don't see what what the issue is.
3: So we'd all be open. We'd all be happy to see a Thursday night game every
0: week. I would. Yep. We'll right. put, you know we're what we should do is... We're we in rare agreement. <laughs> we are, actually. We should put out a... We're going to put out a poll, I think, on footy tips, uh, on Twitter, at footy tips. Uh, and we'll, we might ask you, would you attend one or two Thursday night games per year if your team was involved? I think we... I mean, without... Definitely those people that pre- live, who
2: can access the grounds would, would go. Absolutely. Like, yeah. I mean, and it's also great for those that can't because if you're living in the country or in, in states without footy, you can actually um, watch another game on, on a Thursday
0: night. and it, it, They do start it earlier on a Thursday, so it does wrap up a little bit yeah, earlier as well. a big
3: difference with the 7.20 time slot compared to the 7.50. I agree. I like it much more. 7.50 feels a fraction too late.
2: I feel another rant coming on next week. <laughs> yeah, <maybe. laughs> long live Thursday night <laughs> footy. I've, got a,
3: seven, I've got a 7.50 game on Friday, so there may well be a rant.
2: <laughs> Alright, well, let's move on.
0: We are here for footytips.com.au, of course. Uh, it's time for us to lodge our certainties and upsets for the week. bit of a tough week to tip this week. Last week was a lot easier. Neil, I know you did pretty well.
2: Yeah, first time this year that I feel pretty happy with myself getting eight. But I think a lot of people got seven, eight, nine. I think I know Jake. You got a perfect round, didn't you? You got the nine. I did. Yeah. Yeah. And there was only a couple of games that, that maybe Would, were difficult to pick. Who Last did you week? miss? I miss. I tipped the Saints over Adelaide. Oh, I tipped Carlton, so <laughs> <laughs> you were right for for most of that game.
0: I was, and we won't talk about that. Let's not bring it up. <laughs> but yeah,
2: this round certainly looks a little bit more more difficult.
0: It does. So I'm gonna, I'll throw it to you first. Uh, who do you think your certainty will be this week?
2: Yeah, certainly for me is the Tigers to beat the Bulldogs. I just like the way the the Tigers are gaining momentum. They've got that ferocity back across the ground, and the doggies just look like they yeah they're, they're just bumbling along. Christian.
1: Yeah, I got GWS as my certainty. Uh, two weeks ago, they dropped a game against Freo at Canberra. Before that, they'd won nine in a row at Canberra and sort of made it a fortress. I think they'll bounce back against uh, the Saints up there this week.
3: Jake, I think West Coast. I mean, they were they've been pretty poor their last two games. But Gold Coast, for all the for all the talk around the Suns in the first few weeks, yeah, they were good. But I mean, you know, the Suns going over to to Optus Stadium to play the reigning Premier is going to be a really really tough ask.
0: Yeah, I agree with you, Christian. I think the bubbles burst at St Kilda, and the Giants, uh, you're right, after that loss to the Dockers, they'll be stinging. And uh, wanting to do some good work at home, I think they're, they're a certainty. Uh, an outsider, Jake, do you, have, do you have one?
3: I do. Last time I picked the D's, one, That was against Sydney, so I'm going to do it again. I think, I think Melbourne's a big chance as an outsider to, to win. I know they've been shocking, and I can't believe I'm saying this, because <laughs> every time I watch them, I think, God, can these guys get any worse? But no, I think they're a chance. And I, that's I, over the Hawks? Yeah, Hawthorne have been pretty good, but from what I saw in the first half against Carlton, I just sort of thought, gee, they've, they've got a lot of areas where they they aren't great at the moment, and I think Melbourne will give them a, give them a decent game. Christian, have you got an upset for us?
1: Uh, I might be hedging my bets a little here, but my upset's Essendon. I know we've just pumped up Geelong, <laughs> and I, I said they can win the Premiership, but just looking at the slate of nine games this week, that's, that's probably the only upset I could see happening. Um, Essendon could trouble Geelong.
0: We've got the same notes here
2: because I've also got
0: Essendon over Geelong as my And outsider. I've also
2: got Essendon over Geelong too, so that's a lack of diversity there. But um, I can see that being a great game and going either way, and, and Essendon are quite, quite big outsiders.
0: Yeah, and another marquee game for the Bombers, third straight for them, so <laughs> good on them. Uh, I think uh, that's going to do us for this week. Uh, we've got to wrap it up, uh, so we'll speak to you in the next one.
1: Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast.